Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you this morning. It's great to be back. We had a great time uh, on our vacation, and I just want to take a moment to thank um, all those who uh, covered for me this past week. Brother David, thank you for uh, sharing God's word with, with our church last Sunday, and I know uh, Matt and Kirsten are not here today, but I do want to acknowledge Matt and his leadership uh, last Sunday with the, the worship time, and it's a blessing to be able to step away and not be concerned about how things are going. I also want to thank those who covered my community group meetings this past Wednesday and 30, Pastor Ron. At, at least I assume these things happened, I don't know, because I wasn't connected. So, Pastor Ron, thank you. Uh, for covering Wednesday, and I want to acknowledge Brother Wesley Davis. He, he led our group on Thursday evening, and I appreciate him and all that he does. Uh, he is watching us most likely online at work, uh, but he is very faithful on Thursday nights and uh, faithful to watch online. Um, I noticed actually uh, this past Thursday or this past week we had a good number in our community groups. Um, I also noticed that from our group leaders text thread that some of our groups had times of fellowship this past Sunday night. There was something going on. I don't remember what it was exactly. Um, but actually, uh, just wanted to let you know that, that we had a community group meeting this past Sunday night as well uh, and chose to watch the Super Bowl with a few of our friends um, so if we want to, Brother David, we can add a couple hundred more to that community group number. Uh, but we did have a great time. Uh, even though we weren't able to watch the live stream on board the ship, uh, we chose to go without internet all week. It was a blessing. Um, and it was just too expensive, so we didn't want to pay for it. But. Um, uh, we, we weren't able to watch the li live stream, but I was able to watch most of the service while traveling home yesterday through East Texas. But if you've ever traveled through East Texas, you know that um, trying to maintain a video stream going through East Texas is a challenge, to say the least. So that's why I said that I was able to watch most of the services. Now, I did have a few takeaways from our uh, sermon last week. Uh, Pastor David was very transparent with you all about his struggle with the verboseness of his sermons. Do you know that word? Verbo verbosity? It, he's long-winded. And um, I tend to have that same issue, but um, I loved what he said. He said, I promise to try to not hold you captive for too long. Um, well, I just wanted to let you know, brother, there was one time that I almost preached as long as you did last Sunday. Once. It was January, or no, July 16th, 2022. So um, I, I almost got that long. Um, but in all fairness to him, as he said, uh, he was preaching 38 chapters of the book of Genesis. You know, that, that requires 66 minutes sometimes. I get it. I totally understand that. Um, and in all fairness to him, again, when I was preaching back in July of 2022, 
I preached 11 verses out of Psalm 32, and it took me 65 minutes. So, you know, it happens. The other thing that I took away from the service last Sunday was that your pastor uh, was on vacation celebrating a significant birthday. And then the next thing that I know, he was making some allusion to the fact that, that I'm so old, I'm as good as dead. Is that the way it went? I, I, I don't know. It was something like that. I may have drifted off as I was listening uh, to the service. Um, I, I may have taken a, a short nap, Brother David. But, you know, as you well know, it, it happens quite often, doesn't it? So, um, no, in all seriousness... I want to thank Brother David for filling in for me last week. Um, and again, it's, it's such a blessing to know that I can step away, completely unplug, and have the confidence that our pastoral team and our church staff is taking care of things. What a tremendous blessing it is uh, to me and my family to be able to work with all of you. Um, and so... I did want to mention one quick thing. If you're listening to this on the podcast at a later time, uh, you're going to have this out of order. We had some te technical difficulties uh, this past week, and so hopefully this week we will uh, get two podcast episodes out, but they will be out of order. So some of this you may not understand at all. Well, this morning, um, we do not have 38 chapters of the Old Testament that we need to refer back to as we study our next section in Hebrews chapter 11. We only have about 18 to 20 chapters that we're going to be uh, referencing from the Old Testament this morning. Fortunately, the author of Hebrews skips from Exodus 15 all the way to Joshua chapter 2. So there, there's about 123 chapters there that I don't have to cover this morning. Aren't you glad to hear that. Um, amen. I knew I could get an amen out of that one. You know, if I had to cover uh, all that this morning, I'm pretty certain that I would demolish that sermon length record. Um, but as we continue our walk through the heroes of, of the faith in Hebrews 11, we've come to the record of the life of Moses. Now, we've discovered in some recent messages that faith in the Lord is very much a family tradition. Or faith in the Lord is not a family tradition at all. Right? We've talked about that. To this point, it has been one way or the other. And later in the Old Testament, we see among the kings of Judah that there were certain king's sons that did not follow the example of their fathers. And then sometimes some bad kings had some good sons, but up to this point in Scripture, it was very much whatever the, the father had done, the son followed suit. And so I want us to take the next several minutes to consider Moses and the beliefs and the traditions of his family and then some of the subsequent events that occurred at the end of his life. Uh, to demonstrate the importance of a family legacy, as we've talked about several times. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to look at Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, we'll be reading today, beginning in verse 23. Verse 23. 
Hebrews 11, verse 23, the Bible continues this faith chapter by saying, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. As we consider this this morning, I want us to look also at Deuteronomy chapter 34. It's the very last uh, chapter of the, the writings of Moses. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy are referred to as the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the books of Moses, the books of the law. But the last chapter of Deuteronomy was actually not written by Moses himself. The way we know that for sure is because it talks about his death. <laughs> and, and so someone, an anonymous author, wrote this epitaph, this, this addendum to the, the books of Moses. And he, here we find uh, what happened at the very end of Moses' life. And it's... And in it, we find this, you know, short eulogy or obituary at the end of chapter 34. Read with me Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12. It says, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent to him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. There is no one greater in the mind of a Jew than Moses. He was the greatest prophet of all time. You see, God communicated directly to Moses. It says here, face to face. This is why his face was illuminated as he came down off the mount uh, of Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. And every time he would go back up or go into the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, uh, he would come out and his face was glowing and he had to wear uh, a covering over his face because he was scaring all the people because his face was shining 
with the reflection of being in the presence of God. He was the greatest, Israel's greatest prophet. He was also Israel's greatest lawgiver. Virtually everything in their religion and tradition and laws came from Moses via, well, from God via Moses. He was Israel's greatest lawgiver. He was also Israel's greatest historian. Moses authored everything from Genesis to Deuteronomy. So in other words, from the beginning all the way up until the time of conquest when the children of Israel entered the land of promise. <coughs> he was also considered Israel's greatest saint. You see, the scripture says that he was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. That's Numbers 12, verse 3. This is perhaps most amazing of all because often those who have accomplished great things are anything but humble. The leader of this vast group who stood in defiance to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And yet it refers to him as a very meek man, more than anyone else alive. He was the humblest of the entire human race. He was considered Israel's greatest saint. And he was Israel's greatest deliverer. You see, his feats are wonderfully chronicled throughout the book of Exodus. And so this is why a large section of Hebrews chapter 11 is devoted to him, dedicated to him and the events of his life. And so we want to look at these today, and we're going to almost go through these verse by verse. Uh, we'll have one uh, point uh, that, that considers three verses, but other than that, we're going to go through verse by verse. And because of that, we have seven points to this message. Uh, I hope you can stick with me, uh, because uh, seven points for me, I promise, is more difficult than it is for you. So we're going to try to run through these as quickly as possible. The first ones we'll trudge through just a little bit, and then we'll hit the ground running as we get to about midway through. So the first thing that I notice here in this demonstration of living by faith is the courage of faith. Notice with me back in verse 23 what it says. It says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Notice first of all here that even though it says by faith Moses, the faith that is being described here in verse 23 had nothing to do with Moses' faith. You see, by faith Moses was hidden. Whose faith is, on is being demonstrated here? Well, it's his mom and dad. Amram. And Jochebed, we find in Exodus chapter 6, are the names of his father and mother. And so uh, we see that it is his parents' faith. Now, we don't know what they saw in Moses, but it describes it here as being beautiful. 
Because they saw that the child was beautiful, they hid him for three months and did not worry about the edict of the king. Now, what edict are we referring to? Well, if you remember, the Israelites, the Hebrews, had grown too numerous, and Pharaoh began to get worried, and so he's directed the midwives to kill any child uh, that was that was born that was a male child of the Hebrews uh, but the midwives did not do it they feared God more than they feared the king and used the excuse oh those Hebrew women are hardy uh, and, you know they give birth and go back to work before we ever even get there we can't we can't get to it quickly enough and so Pharaoh said okay I'll fix this problem every child that is two years old or under male child Hebrew child is to be thrown into the Nile to be fed to the crocodiles. Does that remind you of anything that happened later in the life of Christ? Well, Moses was hidden from this edict. Why? Well, it wasn't merely because of his physical appearance, because we find in 1 Samuel 16 that the Lord does not see as man sees, for the Lord, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So it's not so much that he was a pretty baby. That's not the reason that they saved him out. It was because of what God had planned for this child. Based on our understanding of what faith is, which we studied uh, a few weeks ago, Hebrews chapter 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It would be foolish to think that Moses' parents defied the king's orders simply because of the way the child looked. But it was the conviction of what they could not see. That God had a plan for this child. That it was a beautiful plan. You know, we've talked about this before. We always need to allow the New Testament of, uh, section of the scripture to help us to interpret the Old Testament uh, passages of scripture. And if we do that, we need to look at Stephen's comments in Acts chapter 7 verse 20. Where he's talking about all of this history of Israel and he gets to this point and he says that Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. How does God see? God looks on the heart. And so God had a plan for this man. So Amram and Jochebed's fearless for, fearlessness foreshadowed their son's fearlessness when facing the king's anger against all the Hebrew boys under the age of two. They were passing on a legacy to their son. They defied the edict of Pharaoh, just as Moses would one day do when he would stand up against Pharaoh in the plagues and the exodus. So as a result of their defiance, God enabled Jochebed this is a beautiful story. I don't have time to tell it all. <clears throat> but God enabled Jochebed to be the one who would care for this, her son. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter pulled him out of the water, which, by the way, that's what Moses means, to be taken out of the water. Pulled him out of the water, was taken with this beautiful little boy. And uh, Miriam, 
being the industrious one that she was, ran up to Pharaoh's daughter and said, hey, I, I know someone who could take care of him for you. That sounds great. Take the child to the woman and I'll pay her to take care of them. And she did that for several years. But you see, that time, those years that she had Moses in her home, caring for her child, but the child of Pharaoh's daughter, she and Amram used those years to nurture authentic faith in him, to teach him the truth of God's holy word, or decrees, we should say. They didn't have the Bible, per se, at that point, but to teach them about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So what do we learn from this? I think where, where we need to land here is that mom and dad, you who have kids that are still in your house, mom and dad, the authenticity, the authenticity of your faith must be instilled in your children when they are young and you don't have time to waste. Uh, if your faith is inauthentic, if I may say, frankly, I, I believe it has very little chance of sticking. That doesn't mean that if your child goes off a different way that your faith is the reason, your lack of faith is the reason. That's not what I'm saying. But if you want your children to grow up and be the people God wants them to be, you need to be authentic in your relationship with the Lord. This past Christmas, Pastor David gave away some outstanding books to our parents who still have children at home. And if you are a parent that has a child at home and you did not get a copy of that book, would you please let me know? It's an accident because our plan was to give them to everybody. And we want you to have this if you do not. And you say, well, my kids are almost grown. That doesn't matter. You may not have a lot of time, but you need to make the most of the time you still have. Um, and as I'm learning, you know, parenting adult children is still parenting. Um, changed drastically, but, you know, I'm, I'm learning these things. But it's still an opportunity to instill authentic faith, to nurture authentic faith in your children. Well, the book title is Write It on Their Hearts. Subtitle, Practical Help for Discipling Your Kids, written by Chris and Melissa Swain. Now, if you have taken some time to read or even look through this book, this chart that's on the screen right now might look familiar to you. Do, does anyone know what this chart is? I see a head nodding or two. Okay, good, good. Well, this chart is a chart of the days before a child is grown. It starts with age zero, or in the book it's, it says birth, but yeah, age zero. And basically you have 365 days per year until the child turns 18. So what that means is if your child is a teenager, you have, have less than one third of their life as a child left to nurture authentic faith. You know, when your children are born, 
it seems like forever before they're going to be big enough to have a decent conversation with you, you know? Um, it's like, how long am I going to change diapers? Or how long and, you know, whatever, whatever. But those days dwindle quickly. Way too quickly. So don't waste what precious time you have. Invest that time with your kids. And when the time comes and they become an adult, trust in the Lord to cause them to claim their faith as their own. I remember, you know, I, I, was, I was a believer from a young age. I, I surrendered my life to the ministry while I was still a teenager. And then I remember a few years later when my faith transition from being the faith of my parents to my own faith yes and that happened after I had surrendered to the ministry but it was that that process that walk and I'm so thankful for my parents and what they did to instill or nurture faith in my life but folks at some point in time in the life of every you know Adolescent becoming an adult, that faith has to transition from the faith of their parents to their own. It's a beautiful thing when it happens. When you watch it happen, it's a beautiful thing to watch. Um, all you can do right now is have the courage you need to step out in faith and be authentic in your faith. And then, no matter what is going on in your life, you need to pay the cost of what it requires to live by faith. That's the thing we see next in our, in our passage back in Hebrews 11. Let's look at the cost of faith. In verses 24 through 26, it describes how Moses, when he was grown up, even though he had grown up as the grandson of Pharaoh or the, the child of Pharaoh's daughter, he chose to deny all the privileges that that brought him. He chose to endure the suffering of his people rather than enjoy the pleasures of that all that Egypt had to offer. He gave up of his own volition, all the prestige, all the power, all the pleasure, and all the wealth of Egypt in order to identify with his fellow suffering Hebrews. This concept of the fleeting pleasures of sin, um, this, the pleasures here are not necessarily intrinsically negative, but... Here, it relates to pleasures that are short-lived, temporary, and sinful. And so to identify them, to identify with them would be to suffer mistreatment with them. To identify with his people would be to suffer rather than uh, enjoying these pleasures. 
So he chose mistreatment over pleasure. He chose reproach over wealth. Now, think for a moment about the original uh, recipients of this letter. It's been a while since we talked about it. Brother David uh, mentioned it a little bit, but think about the, the original recipients. What was going on in their lives? Well, see, they had already suffered great reproach for their faith, and they had identified with others who had suffered likewise. We saw that in chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. And we're going to see in the Hebrew letter in chapter 13 that they will be called to do so again in chapter 13, verse 3. You see, for them, the choice was not between the luxuries of Egypt and the, the royal court and the exhausting lifestyle of a slave. That wasn't their choice. The choice and the, the issue that the, the Hebrews, the choice that the Hebrews were facing that were receiving this letter was a choice between status and being welcomed as a Jew or being shunned by the synagogue and shunned by their family because they are following this heretic named Jesus. And all the things that would go along with that, such as social and, uh, social and financial ramifications. When they chose to follow Jesus, they were ostracized from their community. That was the cost of faith for them. But folks, there has been a cost of faith for every generation of believers ever since then. Bearing the reproach of Christ in unity with other faithful followers brings about cost to your life. The key is to keep that cost in perspective with the, re the eternal rewards that are promised. The, the short-lived suffering or the short-lived reproach pales in comparison to the rewards that await us someday. So we must be willing not just to have the courage of faith, but also to pay the cost of faith. Let's keep going in Hebrews 11, verse 27. We see there the call of faith. The call it says by faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, what does it mean when it says that Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible there at the end of verse 27? Well, according to Thayer's Greek lexicon, this word for seeing can be understood as seeing with the eyes or perceiving with the mind, or understanding something by experience. Now, what did we say faith is? Well, according to Hebrews 1, the last portion, it says that faith is the conviction of things not seen. So here it says, seeing him who is invisible. Can you see something that's invisible with your eyes? No. 
So what's it talking about? It's talking about this conviction that's in our hearts of those things that are not seen. You see, 40 years after Moses fled Egypt, you know, he was, Moses' life is divided into thirds. Zero to 40, he was in Egypt. Um, And then at 40, he decided to deliver his people on his own terms and ended up killing an Egyptian taskmaster. And then the thing became known and he, you know, uh, Exodus says that he, he got scared and so he left. He was afraid that Pharaoh might find out. And so he left and he went out into uh, the desert uh, and ran away. But here, once again, we find Hebrews chapter 11 commenting on the Old Testament. And we need to allow the New Testament to help us understand the Old Testament anytime it does so. And so here it says that it wasn't because he was afraid of the anger of the king, but because he saw him who was invisible. So 40 years after he left, after that event, Moses saw the angel of the Lord. Do you remember how? In a burning bush. He he heard the voice of the Lord. He saw some sort of appearance that looked like fire in a bush that did not get consumed by the fire. But then in Numbers chapter 12, it tells us that Moses saw the form of the Lord when he was on Mount Sinai. So as he was leaving to go out into the desert, he saw him who is invisible. Forty years later, he saw the burning bush. A few years after that, he saw the form of the Lord on Mount Sinai. But long before all of these, Moses had already glimpsed God's glory by faith, not by physical sight, perceiving things not seen. I love what we were singing just a few minutes ago. Uh, help me with the words, Brother David. Uh, when, when our faith when becomes sight, what, uh, yeah, it is as well. It's the last verse, but I didn't pull it up. Lord, haste the day. Thank you, brother. Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. So much of the time when we're thinking about living our life here on this earth, um, so much of that time, well, I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me, but there are times that in my heart I'm like, is this all real? Can I really trust this? I, I, I identify with Brother Spafford who wrote the song. Lord, hurry up because I want to see this because my faith is weak. But remember, it's not about how much faith we have. It's not the amount of faith we have but in whom we place our faith, in whom 
we trust. Lord, haste the day. That's what Moses had. He had a glimpse of God's glory, not from seeing, but by perceiving things not yet seen. A conviction of what God was going to do. And little by little, as he continued to run toward the Lord, God let him see a little bit more, a little bit more. And then lo and behold, it describes Moses as being one who spoke to the Lord face to face. Do you remember about three weeks ago, I talked about the the story of Elisha from 2 Kings chapter 6. When Elisha had that conviction of what was going on there, even though he was surrounded by armies, he said, Oh Lord, let my servant see what I know is already there. And God opened the eyes of the servant to see uh, the hills and, and all around them uh, filled with chariots of fire. And then God fought off those who were trying to attack him. You see, Moses had that same kind of conviction that Elisha had of things not seen. And so rather than running from something because of fear, he was running to someone in faith. That's why it says he left for he endured as seeing him who is in, invisible. He ran to the Lord in faith and he kept running toward God for 40 years until the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush. And in the wilderness, Moses saw the Lord pass by him as he was protected in the cleft of the rock. And then he began meeting with the Lord face to face up on the mountain and then in the holy place. I wonder this morning, are you running to God in faith? Or are you running from your difficulties and your circumstances out of fear for what might happen? God wants us to run to him. That's the call of faith. And can I just say running to God in faith is not a sprint. <laughs> it's absolutely a marathon. It's a day by day. You just got to keep looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter or finisher of our faith. But I get ahead of myself because that's the next chapter. We'll get there in just a few weeks. Each step we take toward God strengthens our faith and it opens our eyes. Let's look at the confidence of faith. Running out of time. Let's see how quickly we can get through this without uh, paying it a disservice. You see... Here in verse 28, we find it says that by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is the death angel, the tenth plague that was hitting, uh, hitting the country of Egypt. And some of the plagues hit all of them, Hebrews and Egyptians alike. Some of the plagues, though, God spared the Hebrews from experiencing them. This plague had conditions. You see, God said that in order to avoid being struck by the death angel, 
you have to do certain things. And trust me that if you do this, you will be saved. Well, folks, the Passover is a picture of what the Messiah would one day do. It was this perfect lamb that was slain. And then the blood was smeared across the doors as a covering for that household so that the, the penalty of sin, the death angel, would not come in and take vengeance for that sin. So the Passover is a, a symbol of what Christ would one day do when he died on the cross. They simply had to do what the Lord, through Moses, told them to do. And if they did what God told them to do, then the death angel did not touch them. Well, folks, now that the Messiah has come and has offered himself as the perfect sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of the world, it is and always has been faith that justifies us in the eyes of God. It wasn't the smearing of blood on the doors that kept the death angel away. It was the obedience in faith of doing what God asked that kept the death angel away. What does God ask of us? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 4 just for a moment. Romans chapter 4, verse 19 the Bible says, and by the way, this is talking about Abraham. So in case anyone asks, I, I talked about the patriarchs too, Brother David. So here we go. Uh, Romans chapter 4, Abraham, uh, it says, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. See, I told you he talked about that, and now I'm talking about it again. Which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise, promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Faith is a gift of God. And forgiveness comes by faith. So it goes on in chapter 5 verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith gives us peace. We've been reconciled with God. Our relationship has been made right with him. And so then it goes on and says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Confidence in our faith. That's what we're talking about here is the confidence of faith. Confidence in our faith is not confidence in anything other than the one in whom we trust. It's not about confidence in me, but it's faith in the one in whom I trust. It's confidence in my Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not confident because my faith is strong. I'm confident because my God is strong and he is faithful. 
He's faithful to do all that he has promised to those who believe in him. God gave them reason to be confident in the faith in their faith that night of the first Passover feast because they saw all around the country every household that was disobedient to God's command was struck by the death angel can you imagine the firstborn in every household being killed all of in the same night. They had reason to be confident because they had trusted in God and did what God told them today to do. But what happened in the next few days gave them a reason for confirmation of their faith. Look at verse 29. We've got to go back to Hebrews. Hebrews eleven twenty nine. 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. You see, this event that happened just after they left their homes in Egypt gave them confirmation of faith. God wants us to continue to be confident in our faith. And so he is continually giving us confirmation of that faith. You see, in Exodus chapter 14, God had led the Israelites not the way to the promised land that looked easy. If you look at a map, it's like, why did they go southeast instead of northeast? doesn't make sense. But God knew. God knew that if they went northeast, they were going to encounter people that they were going to have to go to war against and they would not do well again with that. And so he said, I've got a better plan. And in this process, I'm going to show all the Egyptians that I truly am God, not Pharaoh. And so he led them to this place where they were trapped between the waters of the Red Sea, mountains on every, each side, and then the Egyptian army fast approaching them from the rear. And so what did they do? Exodus 14, they start complaining to Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt for us to die there? You had to bring us out here to let us die? You see, fear, not faith, fueled their words of complaint against Moses. But in spite of their complaints, God delivered them from the, the hands of the Egyptians in a miraculous fashion. A story that none who walked across the floor of that sea would ever be able to forget. I mean, if, if you experience that, would you ever forget that? No way. The problem was that they did not live their daily lives in such a way to demonstrate that they remembered that. Well, complaining and unbelief became a recurring pattern for the Israelites who were delivered out of Egyptian bondage. The problem was so significant that only two individuals over the age of 20 
when they left Egypt, were able to enter the land of promise 40 years later. And those two were Joshua and Caleb. The only two that truly had faith in God that he could take them into the promised land. Everyone else during that 40-year period, everyone in that generation died. So their complaint about, you know, are there not enough graves in Egypt? Well, they found graves for them out in the wilderness. Because they, even though they may have had the confidence of faith, and God confirmed that faith, they did, were not living their lives by faith. They had a story to tell. An amazing story to tell. About how God delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. And at the same time proved to the Egyptians that he was truly the most powerful God. The only, one and only God of heaven and earth. They had a great story, but they chose to not live day by day in light of that deliverance. You know, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, you too have a story of deliverance to remember. It's a story of deliverance from the slavery of sin. That's what we often call our testimony, right? Our story about what God has done uh, in our lives. But folks, our testimony is not just a story about the time when we came to faith. That's the start of our testimony. That's our, the call of our faith. But we need to continue living in that faith and God provides us confirmation of that faith as we live and we grow and we walk in faith day by day that becomes part of our testimony he continues to confirm that faith as he works in us and through us day by day we are able to remain confident in our faith because of the continual confirmation of faith that we experience. Over and over again for the next 40 years of desert wanderings, the Lord confirmed the Israelites' faith and his faithfulness to them. But because of their unbelief at Kadesh Barnea, there were consequences for their lack of faith. Now, we're not going to talk about all those ways that God showed his faithfulness to them. We're fast-forwarding now from the crossing of the Red Sea to the crossing of the Jordan River. In other words, we're jumping from Exodus 15 to Joshua chapter 2. Aren't you thankful? Let's, let's see what happens there in the first few chapters of Joshua. You see, it starts out that, that Moses dies... We read that a few minutes ago. Um, and Joshua becomes the leader in Joshua chapter 1. And then they get up to Kadesh Barnea. And they send out 12 spies. One spy from each tribe. And they go to spy out the land. And it was an amazing place. And they came back carrying clumps of grapes that took two men to carry them. And they said, oh, it's a beautiful place, a place flowing with milk. 
and honey, describing just the how wonderful and what a great land it was. And they said, oh, but there are giants in the land. We can't fight those giants. You see, they had confirmation of their faith and God's ability to deliver them from all of Pharaoh's army. And yet, people who were a few feet taller than them scared them to the point that they said, no, God's not big enough. They weren't living by faith. And so they wandered for 40 years, and then they finally get back and they send more spies. This time the spies go over to Jericho, and they spy out the city of Jericho, and they see what an amazingly strong, fortified city it was. Almost get caught, sneak away, go back, and they tell Joshua it's a, it's a big fortified city. But God can do it. Remember, this is the new generation. God can do it. Let's go. And so they crossed the Jordan. By the way, the Jordan River was flooded at this time. And, but God, once again, allowed them to cross on dry land. Did it a little different, but we'll leave that alone. And they grabbed 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan, carried them to the other side. And they set them up in a pile and said, we're leaving this as a memorial to what God has done in this place. The next thing we see in Joshua chapter 4 was the circumcision of this new generation of Israelites. In other words, they were identifying themselves as Jews. They were identifying themselves as God. And so then we come to what we find here in Hebrews 11 verse 30, where it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they had been encircled for seven days. I hope that there's no one in here who does not know the story of the, the uh, Israelites' battle against Jericho. If you do not know that story, read Joshua chapter 6 uh, this afternoon. It's, it's an amazing story. But it's an amazing story because it's a crazy story. So let's look at the craziness of faith that we see here. You see, God's battle plan for attacking this fortified city of Jericho lacked strategic competency from a human perspective. Basically, they marched around the city blowing trumpets and not saying a word for six days. One time around, go back to camp. Now, the, the people in Jericho knew the story about how the waters of the Jordan had been stopped and these people walked across on dry land. They were shaking in their boots. Can you imagine what it was like just watching them walk around in silence? It doesn't make sense why they would do it, but it was, it was pretty ominous. Seventh day came and they walked around, not once, but they walked around seven times. And on that seventh time, trumpets sounded, the people shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. And they took the city. Folks, that does not make sense from any kind of strategic war planning. But God's will and God's way does not always make sense. Faith 
is trusting and obeying God's will and obeying how God wants to do something even when it doesn't necessarily make sense. There's a portion of that story that I skipped over, and I skipped over it purposefully because that's the way the author of Hebrews deals with his story. Let's look finally at verse 31 and see this little extra nugget that gets plugged in, actually, back not in Joshua 6, but back earlier in the book of Joshua. Verse 31 says, By faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had been given, or because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So what do we see here? Well, Rahab was a citizen of the city of Jericho. She was a woman of the night, someone of ill repute, a prostitute. And yet it says, by faith, Rahab. You see, what had happened is these spies that I talked about earlier who had gone into Jericho, they were being chased. And where did they go to hide? They went to hide where men would go all the time, to the prostitute's house. And this prostitute told them that we know what God has done for you. We are afraid of the one that you call God. And so I will do everything I can do to help you not get caught if you can promise me that you will protect me and my family. And if you look back here at Joshua chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, here's the response of the spies. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land. Oh, this is chapter 1. Let me go to chapter 2, verse 14. I was like, that didn't look right. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. By faith, Rahab defied her king there in Jericho to place her faith in the king of the universe. Rahab was a prostitute, but her fear of the Lord motivated her to risk her life to help the Hebrew spies. What can we learn from this? Very quickly, what we learn from this is that your past does not matter to the Lord. Did you hear me? Your past does not matter to God. He only wants you to be obedient to him today. He wants you to place your faith in him today. Rahab changed her family legacy that day. She and her family were spared in the attack on Jericho. 
And then we know that she married an Israelite man named Salmon. And then gave birth to a son. And you know what her son's name was? Boaz. Fast forward a couple generations. This prostitute named Rahab was the great-great-grandmother to King David. And she was listed by name in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. The decisions we make today have an eternal impact, folks. All of this happened because she, in faith, chose obedience to the Lord. I'm over my time and I'm coming dreadfully close to matching David's time from last week if I don't hurry up. And it might happen, David, we'll see. So what do we see in these seven things that are demonstrations of living by faith? Well, to recap, first of all, folks, we need to nurture authentic faith in our children. Secondly, we need to choose to refuse temporary wealth and temporary pleasure by focusing on the promise of eternal rewards. Number three, we need to live a life of conviction of what is yet unseen, which are eternal rewards. Number four, we need to remember that it's not the amount of faith that we have that matters. It, what matters is in whom we place our trust. Number five, we need to pay attention to the ways that God continues to confirm his faithfulness in our lives each day so we can, our faith can grow. It killed me not to read the rest of Romans 5, 1 through 5 there when I read 1 and 2. But if you don't know that, read it. Number six, we need to willingly obey God's will and God's way. No matter how crazy it might sound at the time, we simply need to trust him. And number seven, we need to make a choice to obey God. And allow him to change your family and allow a godly legacy to begin with you. Will you choose to demonstrate your faith in him in one of these or all of these ways today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing example of Moses. And so, Father, as we consider these things, Lord, help us to see what do we need to change in these different ways. Lord, help us to make that decision today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.